Hello, and welcome to the Click and Abate podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the election now that it's really starting. Mesh, do you want to talk about your thoughts on the VP pick? What up, D-Rush? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so everyone's kind of seen the news. Uh, Joe Biden picked his VP. It's Kamala Harris. Make sure you pronounce the name right. Otherwise, you'll get called all sorts of bad things, even though um, it doesn't really... No one's doing it on purpose. But uh, so... My thoughts on this pick is, is pretty interesting because um, in an effort to kind of kowtow to uh, the left side of, of the Democrat Party, you ended up picking someone who's formerly like the top cop of California. So I thought it was interesting from the uh, just from like a 10,000 foot view that like in this kind of era of uh, politics where we're really questioning the presence of law enforcement, not just like what law enforcement should do, but the presence of law enforcement, period. Like we've got people saying to uh, defund the police on that side of the political spectrum um, that we elected a top cop, a former top cop. So uh, I guess in my head, I see like progressivism versus prosecute, prosecutor as kind of uh, a, a really weird juxtaposition that's going on um yeah what are, what are your thoughts on that am i am i uh, am i crazy for thinking that there's some sort of like cognitive dissonance kind of going on there my thoughts are it seems like a predictable pick but it also seems very odd I, it's odd in the sense that it seems like a very weird hedge right because if you look at her voting record She's like 93% aligned with Bernie Sanders, 95% aligned with Cory Booker, you know, kind of like super liberal uh, senators. But then her actual record as a prosecutor is terrible for the climate we're in right now, right? The, the thing she did, like the one that I can't get over is how they kept people in jail who would normally be released because they needed the labor to fight forest fires. And it's like, so slavery, like you were just doing slavery. Like that's, right. that's what that is. Um, yeah, that's not cool. how, how they pay him like a dollar a day or something like that. Or was it? A yeah, dollar which inconsequential. How exactly? So how they kind of went that way. It's to me, it feels like they went to a room and said, OK, do we have the far left vote or not? And they were all like, I don't know. And they're like, OK, do we have the moderate vote or not? I don't know. OK, well, shit, let's find someone <laughs> who maybe hedges that. Let's find someone who has like. Hard on crime, but also super left in their politics. Yeah. And so they came up with, you know, Kamala Harris. And I I don't know the, how that's going to work out for them, quite honestly. I, I don't think it's a great pick. I think they should have just went one way or another and hoped for the best. This seems like a bad hedge. Yeah, I, w I was kind of surprised that uh, they didn't pick someone like Susan Harris, who's – or Susan Harris. Sorry, Susan Rice, who's um, <laughs> who's actually had exposure to – a lot of the goings on inside of the executive branch. Um, she's pretty well known around there. Like a typical states stateswoman, basically. Um, and I know that she was like, may, maybe in like the top two or three. Um, but I'm, I'm really surprised she didn't get the nod. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you about Kamala. I mean, she's such a... I know people are making this to, to be a like almost obvious pick. Like, and, and I, in some ways it... It kind of was like we we foresaw it. Like I think the media really um, 
during the early part of the democratic debates last year really set the stage up for this like we they gave a lot of airtime to this whole um, Kamala Harris challenging Joe Biden um, kind of storyline early on. So it was almost like they were setting her up to be like, okay, if she doesn't win, she's probably going to be vice president because look how well she's performing um, and, and hitting yeah. people in the debates. There was a huge media push for her. And this yeah. is one of those weird missteps where I don't understand what the Biden campaign was thinking where they said, he came out front and said, okay, I'm definitely going to pick a woman for my vice presidential candidate, right? And it's like, that that's so weird because you could have just said, I'm going to take the top pick. And even if in your head you were going to pick a woman, right? Just saying it that out loud means that you for sure were being sexist and said, I couldn't ever take a woman off her actual you know, abilities because right. then I wouldn't pick a woman. I have to pick a woman because I say I did. That, yeah, it, I, it doesn't make any sense, right? It's massively sexist. Oh, totally. I, I, I think you're hitting on something there because I, I was just thinking this too. It's like um, th this extends beyond just the pick. This extends to how we're going to talk about these people, all of them. Um, like we have to be able to criticize politicians. And I feel like uh, things are shifting a little bit in, in our national politics where like right now with Kamala Harris, is there a, is there a fair way to criticize her? Is, is someone going to tell everyone and put everyone on notice like hey here's a here's a fair way to criticize her because right now if you try and criticize her it's almost like um, you're attacking her like her, her being rather than her you know career and political work um, well and I don't think that's not a very that's not a very productive um, environment to be in where you can't criticize the people that are trying to obtain political power and i mean criticize their ideas not their person so it, yeah. it's just the media the media climate has made it such that if you disagree with her at all it's because you're racist or sexist or both you can't have any valid debates about it also you can't point out that she called biden a racist or that he is a rapist <laughs> either like that's yeah. that's amazing to me and that's another huge misstep by biden here is if you pick Susan Rice, you don't have to have these questions about, uh, didn't you say that he was a rapist? Like, yeah. you did. You said you believe his accuser who says that he forcibly penetrated a woman. Like, right. how, how, how in the world could you accept the VP pick from someone like that? How would you not be yelling to the rooftops, I can't have this person in office? Well, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. It doesn't honest. make sense. Um, it doesn't make sense, but at the same time, I feel like this is a reflection of what's going on in a lot of American families that are split politically. You've got one side calling the other side a ton of names, accusing them of all sorts of stuff, and then just kind of flipping over the cheek, you know, flipping over to the other cheek and saying like, oh, I love you and we're family and, you know, everything is fine, just kind of sweeping it under the rug. Like the, the term, like, I, I think in everyday life, a, a lot of people certainly that I know feel this way. Um, You've got people just throwing around the, you know, like they go visit the grandparents and they call them racist. And then they just kind of turn the other cheek and are just like, oh, you know, um, I love you and I'm happy to be here with you. And, you know, we're having a good time and we're connecting. And it's just like there's this weird thing going on where it's like now you can just kind of call people all sorts of names. And, and honestly, I, I don't know. Maybe those names have been watered down in some way. Like racist doesn't really or Nazi or any of these other um pejoratives don't really carry the same weight as they once did because they've been said so much but 
there's a weird thing. My point is there's a weird thing kind of going on in in uh, family discourse, and I think this is actually strangely representative of that, where it's like you've just just got this thing where it's like, oh, just call these people that you care about supposedly um, all sorts of heinous names and accuse them of all sorts of stuff, but then just be like, oh, they're family and we love you, and turn the turn the turn the other cheek on, you know, almost immediately. So it's it's a very strange. Um, phenomenon that I've noticed and and I almost I think I see that here but yeah I I, I agree with you um, I think it's kind of weird I think it's sexist and racist actually to um, to have to handle Kamala Harris with kid gloves like being told to handle her with kid gloves like don't ask her hard questions don't um, criticize her record um, it's just like it's almost a slap in the face in some ways um, to say that like, oh, you're not, you're not capable of handling the fire. And it's like, actually, we, we have actually seen her handle fire. Like she's, she's good on her feet. So it's just, it, it's not even true, but it's just a, a very strange, like, uh, I guess like a bigotry of low expectations, I would say. Yeah. I, I've always found it where, if you're on the right and you're racist or sexist, it's because you believe those people are, uh, or that you are above those people, right? Like you are, if you're white, if you're a white supremacist, right? You believe that you are the superior race. If you're a man, you're superior sex, whatever. If you're on the left and you're racist or sexist, it's because you believe those people are beneath you, right? It's like, oh, if they're black, they couldn't possibly take the stuff that I do, right? I have to help them. I have to help them along. Yeah. It's like, that seems to be the Dem Democratic Party mantra at this point is like, no, 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 they're weaker than us. We have to help them. It's like, no, <laughs> like, like uh, do we need to make sure that things are are treated equally? Yes. But if you say, I mean, always the one I, I hear that just kills me and shows kind of the liberal racism is it's like, oh, well, we can't have voting IDs or we can't have IDs to vote because black people can't have access to IDs. And it's like, time out, time out, time out. What, wh who as a black person do you know can't get a fucking ID? Like there are some people, yes, but it is a very small minority. So to act like that is a real thing, that the black population just can't figure out how to get an ID is ridiculous. It's yeah. so racist, but that is the Democratic Party of today. And what, what strikes me as strange is there always seems to be like they always take the most divisive route when there seems to be probably something that everyone would agree on. So like in, in terms of black folks that don't have an ID, can we not make an effort to to get them IDs? Can we exactly. not like have a, have a community kind of reach out? Thing? Like I know it'll cost money, but I'm pretty sure you could get Republicans on board to get people that deserve to vote their IDs, at least some of them. Otherwise, then, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you can't agree with that on the Republican side, it's just that's crazy to me. Yeah. And but, if you did that right, then if we found Republicans who weren't for that, I'd say, OK, they're being yeah. racist. That's 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. They don't want these, these guys people to assholes. vote because they vote against them. Yeah. Right. But you can't do the opposite and say that you're not racist. Right. It's like, no, we can't allow any IDs. It's like there's and they, it's funny, too. They always tout how, oh, well, voter ID or voter fraud is way down. It's like, yeah, that's because we instilled all these things that minimize fraud. And now you want to remove one of these pillars and be like, oh, no, no, the fraud won't go up at all. There's no reason we ever had this in place. It's like it, it is. There's a t great reason we have this in place. It's it's preposterous. But we're we're getting off track. Uh, yeah. Let me get let me get back to the VP pick. Or should I actually say 
is it the presidential pick? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I wanted to talk to you about that, actually. Um, do, do we think that this is... I don't feel like this is um, like every other VP pick. It just doesn't feel that way. This feels special. This feels like either um, a, a 2024 preview, like, hey, this is the actual top of the ticket in 2024, and you're just trying to get... Uh, you're trying to more or less have have that person be the incumbent going into 2024 or um, we really don't expect Joe Biden to make it the full four years and you need someone um, that will be, yes, tried to get reelected in 2024, but will step in like we're expecting that person to step in um, before 2024. So I don't know. I, I, I generally lean yes. I think that this is actually somewhat of a presidential pick. I think we've, I mean, we it's it's really weird. We we see open campaigning. I don't know if I've ever seen this, even with old candidates like uh, like Trump or or Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, where they just openly campaign that. Um, hey, you know, Joe's only running one term and we're going to get this person that can step in when necessary. Transitional president. Yeah, and it's just like, well, yeah, not even just transitional president for one term, but also that um, this is a person that can step in when necessary. Like, I've never seen someone outright really campaign about their VP like that. Like, yeah, I mean, un typically when you, when you get a VP, you're thinking like, oh, this is someone that could step in, but they're like really pushing it. That's where I also think this falls apart really quickly, right? Because, okay, transitional president, sure, you're going to largely ride the hate Donald Trump wave. I get that. How could you not pick someone with more support than Kamala Harris? Um, that, that's where it really falls through here because she isn't even well-supported in her own state. She was very low on the, the, the ticket in the primaries just in, in California, not to mention she dropped out very early after Tulsi just smoked her. In the debate right, yeah um if you go for someone i mean i know the issues in minnesota right now but a klobuchar a warren a susan rice like it seems like those people have a lot more cachet and are likely to be accepted as president right they lasted longer susan rice not in notwithstanding but like klobuchar and warren lasted much longer in this whole thing right um kamala was or kamala was out way early and so how they think that she's going to be accepted when we all know that Joe Biden is going to lean on her to actually be president or essentially be president. That's not going to work. And if that's your 2024 ticket, I mean, you might as well just give the Republicans 2024, which maybe they're doing. I don't know. I don't know. They, they might think the opposite. I mean, they might think that this is um, the wave of the future, that um, they're going to turn a bunch of states blue. I think, I don't know. And it really depends on, on your polling and how confident you are in your polling. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it just, it, it boggles my mind a little bit, this pick. It really does. I mean, I want to, I want to actually jump back to the, the prosecutor stuff, um, and jump into some of it real quick. So like, it's, it's just weird to me that like someone who is slated to pick up the progressive left as a voting block is someone that's like worked you know, has, has a record against, um, you know, like sex workers, for example, like jailing uh, women who are involved in sex work. Um, 
I, I mean, there, there was a, uh, I forget where I read this, but there was a, a years long, like high profile campaign against sex traffickers. Um, and that's not to say that all sex traffickers are good. Certainly some are criminal, but, um, well, sex traffic by definition is, is illegal. So by sex trafficker, do you mean sex worker? Yeah. I mean, sorry. I mean, sex worker. I just mean women yeah. that are engaging in consensual sex um, for the right. exchange of money, basically, and are not um, are not victims. So they're not like people that are coming in from other countries um, unwillingly and and being basically sold into sex slavery. There's an actual, you know, you can call it escort, you can call it all sorts of things, but there's an actual economy around um, women consensually. Um, giving giving sex as like a product basically um and so the progressive position on this is that you let people make their own choices here so if, if women want to uh, make a business out of that then it should be okay but she actually had quite a quite a long record of, of jailing these types of women so um i and that kind of stuff really bothers me too. Yeah. It, say if you have an opinion on whether it should be legal or not, that's fine. I, I honestly, I can see both sides of the argument on it. I lean more libertarian. I think you let people do what they're going to do as long as it's not hurting anybody else. Right. If consensual, you know, uh, commerce relationship. I'm fine with it. The big problem I have with prosecuting the sex workers is that almost always it's because they're being forced into it by some pimp. Right. Like that is very common yeah. that these 14, 15, 16 year old girls are groomed into this. So to right. jail them, it's like, oh, so would you <laughs> like that's like jailing, you know, the users of, of cocaine or whatever, as opposed to the right. dealers. It's like the users are not the problem here. Like it is the people who are forcing them in. Right. And if it is a woman who is just consensually having sex with a man of their own volition, it's it's their own, you know, commerce relationship. I don't see a big problem with that. I do see a problem with the actual sex trafficking, like you, like you're saying earlier, which is that there's some pimp who forces a woman to have sex so that he can take money off the top and then provides her the stuff she needs, which is yeah. a pittance of what she actually earned as far as the transaction. Right? It's like those people should be put in jail. Like those are actual criminals. So when she is tough on the sex worker as opposed to the people who are forcing them to work, like that kills me. That that yeah. can't be tolerated. I think that's yeah. That's really what I was trying to get at. I, I think you clarified it perfectly. It's, um, I, I don't think they should punish the actual workers. I, I really don't like, there are some people that they get forced into this thing or they become dependent on it because it's just a steady source of income and they can pay rent and stuff like that. And really we should not be putting those people in jail. It is exactly like the drug thing. It's, it's just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why, um, why we're able or why so many people are overlooking her, her record there. Um, but also, you, I, mean, I mean, you brought this up, but the, the war on drugs, like she, um, she's kind of been refashioning herself a little bit um, to kind of look like she's pro legalization and, and, um, you know, trying to take on the, the progressive stance of all the stuff. But then you look at her record and, and she was kind of a drug, drug warrior, I guess. Um, that, and then her, her fake ass, oh, I used to smoke in college, um, even though that's been proven that at the time she said she smoked, and this is from the Breakfast Club when she was on and talking about whether oh, she yeah. 
she choked up or whatever and said, oh yeah, it's whenever, I forget, was it a Tupac and a Biggie al album? I think those were the two, I forget the exact timeline. But the timeline that was suggested was when she was a state prosecutor who was putting people in jail for smoking drug or for smoking <laughs> marijuana. It's like you, I can't even believe that that this woman has a chance. Like it is so preposterous. She is such a fraud, and I don't believe her for one second on the legalization thing, because one, everybody acts like they would, and not a damn person does anything. Um, so I, I'm not sure why I would believe her on that. I. She's just so fake to me. Yeah, it, totally fake. Um, I, I think in some ways it's really, really indicative of the split in the Democrat Party. It's like I feel like they're they're having a little bit of a "here's your cake and now you can eat it too" type of moment with um, with this. Like, do you want someone that? Can attract most people can win back those trump voters that voted obama before um that that really swung that last election i'm talking about like truck drivers i'm talking about gas station owners i'm talking about farmers um people that you would traditionally align with the democrat party are you going to try and win those over or are you trying to win over the progressive left wing of your party and there's like a really big split in the Democrat Party. And I think this pick really, really kind of shows that. It, like, not just between Joe Biden kind of being the moderate and, and Kamala Harris being the uh, the left, the person on the left, but also within Kamala Harris herself. I mean, you've got someone who has a prosecutor record and the beginning of her uh, legislative record was, you know, it wasn't like she just switched stances overnight. So... Um, You've got someone who looks not like a far left person from their prosecutorial prosecutorial record and um, is a far left person in many ways on on their legislative record. So I don't know. It's it's just a really weird thing where it's like you're trying to say like oh we appeal to the every person uh, to the everyday person, but on the other hand also <laughs> here's um, a slew of really really progressive super far left stuff. Um, I don't know. It, it's it's yeah, just a I, weird split in in the Democrat Party, and and I feel like Kamala Harris is a perfect embodiment of of that split. I to me too. Uh, the more I think about it, she feels like the absolute perfect controlled progressive, right? She splits yeah. that line of establishment candidate, but progressive on the the voting record. I'd be very curious to go back and look at any of the voting record to see how much of those votes actually mattered, right? Where was she the yeah. the drawing line on whether it passed or failed? Because um, I too wonder, like, what is this going to do in swing states? Because Biden, you can convince me, would help in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, et cetera, right? The states that Trump won yeah. that, that swung the last election. Uh, Kamala does not. There's no way that she helps in those states. And do, do they just think they have them locked down? Because I can't see that for a minute. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would love to look at... Um, so there's a couple different ways that people try and, and predict elections, right? A lot of people... Um, I mean, you see the polls that, that come out every four years where it's like this national referendum. And I, I never like those polls because we know it's the Electoral College that actually elects people. And so it really comes down to swing states. Um, but then people do like the national 
they do the same kind of like popular vote thing in the swing states and it's kind of like well actually it's more like you need to break it down by county and um anyways long story short you've got that kind of um total vote mentality and then you've got a um maybe like a studying of the primaries which is a in my mind is a better indicator it's like a good indicator of um the election because these are people that are very very likely to vote um they may not be representative of the entire voting block because they're more eager but i think it's a little bit closer than just calling people on the phone or whatever um when we look at the primaries i i don't know how well kamala even did in her own state i mean i think we talked about this earlier but i think she's like at what, what was she at seven percent in her own primary there yeah, it was not good. I mean, she didn't even make it to it technically, but the polling for her own state was was terrible. Yeah. So I would be curious to see what the primaries in some of those swing states would have been like or were like um, for, for some of the for some of the states that could be up for grabs. Like, I, I think that's that's probably a good indicator of the enthusiasm bump that you might get from a Kamala Harris uh, VP pick. I, I um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what this this effect is, uh, what what effect this is going to have. In some ways, I feel like this is actually a uh, a disadvantage in some of those swing states. I feel like there was such a backlash against Clinton. Um, in 2016 by a lot of those voters who voted for Obama previously. And once they kind of went Trump's way, um, you know, I mean, since 2016, America's gotten more divided. It's like once you go one way, you kind of trudge further down that path, right? And I think those voters in general have gone further down that path. I don't really think that they've reversed course. And so... yeah, I. Who who are you Looking, bringing on board? Who are you bringing back on board with someone that's further down the other path? Like when you meet division with more division, you just create more division. Yeah, that's where I'm kind of at is I don't know who voted for Trump in 2016 who looks at this ticket for the Democrats and says, oh, now they've got me. Yeah, I, I just don't. I don't know who, because I don't know what he necessarily has done. If you were already a Trump supporter, that's gonna block you, like that's gonna stop you, because he already was who he is, right? The the Twitter nonsense, the the way he talks, the way he acts, his his mannerisms, kind of being like a little incoherent type from time to time. Um, he just kind of like talks out his ass a bit, like that's all still there. And the policies he's instituted, though, he's done parts of the border wall, and that still seems to be going. Uh, he's done the economy where it's actually gotten better. I mean, we had the the pandemic obviously as a problem, but even that is now starting to come back. So I just don't know what you would see in Harris and Biden that would make you say, oh, well, now I, I couldn't vote for Hillary, but I can vote for those two. I yeah, just right. don't see it. I just don't understand. It's like everyone kind of coalesced around the fact that those Obama voters who switched over to Trump, they need to get them back. And it's like when you started off with you know, Joe Biden being the the winner of the Democratic primaries, it was kind of like, okay, I, I could see the case for him getting those guys back. But then you add Kamala yeah. Harris, and it's kind of like, well, wait a second. Are, the, are they going to come back now? 
they're going to look at that and be like, well, we were doing okay until the pandemic and um, under Trump. And it's like, well, maybe we'll just stick with him for another four years. I mean, that's that's kind of what it feels like. It's, I, I just don't know what Obama voter would switch over to Trump and then be like, oh, Kamala Harris is the reason I'm switching back. It's like, I don't know the logic there. This is kind of back to your earlier point, which is like, this feels like a desperation hedge pick or something like that. <laughs> it's just like, well, we think that Joe's got those, you know, former Obama voters who turned Trump voters. We think he's got those guys back. And we're going to hedge by saying, like, here's Kamala Harris to go get all those really, really active left wing people. I don't know. It's a yeah. very strange pick. Because. And maybe we're overthinking it too, because maybe it just doesn't matter. Quite honestly, I think that's also a possibility. Is that who everybody's kind of decided who they're for? I don't. I don't know yeah. a whole lot of people who are on the fence at this point. <laughs> and to to that effect, do we trust the polls? I like at all. I don't know. And you know why? Because not only that, uh, not only because of 2016. Um, and I, I don't necessarily know that we learned the lessons we needed to learn in terms of polling in 2016. Like I still see a lot of basically 2016 denial like that had ever happened. Um, I never saw, you know, for instance, like we all know that Hillary Clinton really propped up Trump. I mean, we remember those stories in 2015, don't we? Like it's not been that long. Right. Um, I don't see the, I, I never saw, and this is part of what irritates me the most about the Democrats. Like with the Republicans, you have, you know, people that just were bashing Trump and then kind of, immediately flipped over and it's just like okay well that's kind of weak but you know that's, that's partisan politics but with democrats it was like they took no accountability for their role in the right. 2016 election outcome it's like you guys propped him up thinking he would be easy and actually you you exposed him you platformed him and he beat you and he beat you well in, in their a lot defense, of it, was, it was Russia who who beat them, obviously, not, right. not yeah. Trump. Himself. Yeah, and the, then they started blaming other things. It's like, no, no, you started this pretty much. Like this was a joke to you. That's and, and it was because of you know partially because of your uh, your wanting to play games, political games. That it backfired on you, and I never really saw the Democrat Party basically take accountability or take personal some personal responsibility for the 2016 outcome. And so in, in that way, I've also not really seen like the people behind the polls um, really take account of like they've done some stuff, you know, they've done they've retrospective, they've looked at it. I think many people think it's kind of 2016 was an aberration. I don't view it that way. Personally, I think it's a, a trend point for the future. But um, I, I just don't, I don't know if they've gone far enough. I don't, I don't see enough proof to see like, oh, we really, you know, checked our shit in our house and, and um, hardened our approach to polls. And this is our new way of doing it. Like, I, I don't see that. So to me, that's, the polls that's, yeah. are still so fake because the problem you have is that if you are on one side of the aisle, you are seen as evil by most of the media. The right. New York Times got, they removed an editor for posting a Tom Cotton op-ed that was the, the common thread is shared by 70% of the people in the US. 
and they yes, got him removed do. because it's conservative. They didn't. They thought it was uh, a risk to their safety. Yeah. Nobody Senator is going to tell Tom you Cotton. the truth at the polls. Right. Yeah. No, no one is going to tell you the truth at the polls if they think that you are going to believe them to be evil if they if they say what they're actually thinking. Right. So yeah, I, that, I just don't believe them for a second. That's a great point. Um, yeah, Senator Tom Cotton made an op-ed in the New York Times. Um, it's an opinion that regardless of what you think of Senator Tom Cotton was shared by like 70% of Americans. Um, and not only do they have to retract it and apologize for it, they had to fire the editor um, at the New York Times, which is totally crazy. Yeah, we, we do live in an environment where it's very hostile towards... Um, towards deplorables basically people who don't pass the purity check and so it's very difficult to to trust these polls right now from that perspective too because it's like what media outlet are you getting your polls from also the the states that you're looking at that would be the swing state polls right they were yeah. wrong about the exact same states in 2016 but right. now we're supposed to believe them and say oh well we hardened our methodology it's like okay what did you do yeah. You, uh, did you make it to where you won't be seen as evil if you say you're going to vote for Trump? Because I don't <laughs> think you control that. If, yeah. if you don't control that, you can't change shit about your methodology. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's, yeah, spot on. I mean, it, it's, uh, there was a Cato Institute, you know, study that came out. It was a, it was a couple of polls and, you know, well, basically what they said was, since 2016, there's been like a nine or ten percent, somewhere around there, increase in uh, the feeling that you can't really say what you think politically. So, in some ways, the effect, the silent, not silent majority, but like the silent like Trump voter effect, might have might have actually grown since 2016. Um, and so I, I just I don't know. Has. Yeah, I, I just don't know who what polls are accounting for that i don't know also we should talk about this like COVID is a thing right and, and there's a lot of variables that are going to come out of this i don't know if there's going to be increased mail-in voting i don't know if there's going to be decreased in-person voting because of um you know various factors uh safety factors i don't know if there's going to be um i don't know if there's going to be chaos like uh, what happens to mail-in votes that come in after the election if we do more mail-in voting um yeah i was talking with someone the other day who said i was gonna say one more one more point um what happens to uh you, you know what what happens to in in-person polling locations where like things are much slower and you end up with people in long lines past the closing time because you can't just vote as fast as you used to you know um right there's a lot of stuff that i i don't know What's going to happen? There's variables that we have never had before, and there's no polls that account for that. I'm pretty worried about the election because one, we're I not am. going to know who won on election night unless there's a landslide one way or another, which I just don't foresee. Quite honestly, I, I, I think it'll be closer to fifty-fifty split, and it'll just come down to some key states. But as when you have mail-in voting and it's already been shown that it's fraudulent in a lot of cases and democrats keep talking about how it's not and then more and more cases keep rolling in where we show that it is fraudulent and that doesn't mean it's only democrats doing it but just the fact is like in-person voting happens to be the least fraudulent form there are problems with it uh you lose a lot of people with potential voters but 
mail-in voting is fraudulent as hell. Next would be online voting. That'd be even more fraudulent as hell, right? It's like, there are problems with this. We're not going to know on election night. And even if we have an idea, neither is going to back down. We're going to be in courts for three, four, five months. And the Democrats are going to try to hold this out, in my opinion, so that they can get Pelosi to take over since the president can't retain his spot, right? So it's going to go to the Speaker of the House. Right. It's like, I think that's what they're going to try to do. So, which that, if they try to do that, though, I, I would legitimately be worried about some kind of civil war, some kind of escalation. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think of it in the sense of the old civil war, right? We're not going to be out in the streets with muskets firing at each other. But yeah. the amount of civil unrest might just exponentially increase at that point. Yeah, I, I'm worried about the election, too. I'm worried because it's like I, I don't feel like either side is going to accept the results. I mean, I've, I've been they worried a little won't. bit. I've been worried about Trump, to be honest. Um, but how can I say for certain that Joe Biden's going to accept the results either? I mean, we, we, we might end up in a spot where it's like, like I said, you've got votes that got missed, uh, uh, mail-in ballots that came in late. And I feel like we're, we're at a point where, I mean, here's what I see. I see a, I see a pretty decent gap in the popular vote, I think, between Trump and Biden. Like, I don't think that will even necessarily be close. I think Biden's going to win that, possibly by more than what Clinton won by. But I think that the Electoral College will lean towards Trump. And I think it's going to be close enough in, in the states that cause it to lean towards Trump that... Um, any sort of you know unforeseen variable could uh, could have a drastic effect and so that that's really what worries me is like you know in, in the year 2000 we've had close elections before we had some pretty crazy ones i mean what bush won by like 500 votes in florida yeah imagine, it was some minuscule amount imagine that in like six states yeah I, and instead I'm of 100%. Hanging, hanging chads it's it's like you know, late mail-in votes or, hey, these people were in line, but because of COVID um, safety regulations, we weren't able to move fast enough and they didn't get to vote. Um, it, it's just, that's what worries me. It's like, there's so many variables. Neither side is going to really accept the outcome because there's doubt in the air now, you know? And, uh, and then there's power games that happen behind the scenes. And, you know, both parties do this, but in, in this case, like, like you pointed out, like Nancy Pelosi probably has some sort of incentive too. I mean, I just doubt everyone that has any sort of access to power by nature. I don't give a shit if they have good intent or not. Um, I doubt them. So it's scary from a lot of different points. Right. And that's, I basically agree with you in that I think Biden wins the popular. I think Trump probably squeaks out a win in the Electoral College, maybe exactly the same as last time, quite honestly. It would not shock me if we see the exact same red-blue board of the states as previous. Uh, but yeah. after that, I just don't know what's going to happen. We know for sure the Democrats will contest the election. That is, it doesn't matter if Trump wins by a blowout. They're going to contest it because that's what they do. Uh, we have four years of proof that that's the case. They will not accept that Trump is president. Well, right. Whether Trump will do that, I don't know. It wouldn't exactly shock me if he did. I don't think it. I um, think he would. Yeah, I, I, I actually think he would. Um, I, I just think that the, I just think a contested election is actually inevitable. I'll say that. I think it's inevitable. That's part of my pessimism. Yeah, at and at that point too, 
what happens to long-term discourse? Because say that we have this contested election and nobody agrees on who the president is, right? Say that you're Texas and you say it's Trump, you're California, you say it's Biden. You know, we're going across the board. Nobody agrees at all. Um, what happens from there? Because, I mean, we're talking about some real fucking issues that we've never kind of seen before. Because even, even in 2000, right, when the uh, Bush versus Gore election happened and there was the you know, kind of contest election. We took about a month. Was it a month or two months? I forget exactly how long to figure out exactly who won. Nobody really gave a shit, right? They're like, uh, if Bush wins, we'll be fine. Uh, if Gore wins, I'll be, you know, <laughs> shouting at the clouds, but I'll be fine. People are going to be really fucking pissed if this happens. And yeah. I just don't know what the hell is going to happen. Like, are we going to actually see some problems with states looking into actual secession? It, it gets thrown out every election, right? This states want to secede. If Trump wins again, are we looking at the Northwest and going like, shit, are they going to try to leave? Or if you look at, or if Biden wins, it's Texas, Florida, whoever, right? And this yeah. will obviously depend on who exactly, like which states vote for who. But I mean, I think to states are getting tired of just dealing with federal oversight. I just think they are. Like the more and more nanny state we are with the federal government getting more and more tax dollars, controlling more and more things, states are getting where they're saying, fuck it. I, at some point, I think we see a secession, whether it's after this election, I don't know, but... It, yeah. It's the kind of thing that I think this could kick it off. I think you're right. I think the general, I, I, I don't know if I can put a prediction on it other than to say it's in the future. <laughs> but like, uh, it feels like there's a split somewhere that's like, it, it just does not feel like we're on a sustainable path. Like there's an inevitable split. Like something has changed. The division is, is so intense. Um, and there's so much doubt in the air that I, I don't even remember there ever being this much doubt before that in, in all institutions, by the way, um, that I just view some split somewhere as inevitable at this point, some conflict and some split. I, I'm, I'm with you there. So, um, you brought up a good point yeah. about discourse. I wanted to jump into that real quick. What, what are we going to expect out of these debates? Oh, that, that... Popcorn. That's what we need. That's that's all I have okay. to say. Yeah. Assuming that Biden is is actually there in person and not having someone dub over his lines. I mean, the the Babylon Bee has a great satire piece where oh. Biden says, don't worry, he's going to be at the election, but he's going to have a face covering and his voice might not sound like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, shout, shout but, out to the Babylon Bee. Um, they, they are hilarious. Um, I'm not even Christian or anything, but I do tune in and just, uh, they, they make, they're like the onion, but 10 times funnier in this, ten, this era. I mean, fantastic. Stuff. They're but yeah. the, the onion on the right. Right. And, yeah. and I don't even think the onion is necessarily that crazy far left. I think they still have some fun like headlines, but the Babylon B is killing it right now, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but, they're, they're really funny. And even their, their stuff where they, they kind of hit Trump or some of the people on the right is really funny. <laughs> I've seen some well, stuff that is absolutely hilarious. They had a great one about like the 20 or the 2020 election. They're like Trump says due to pandemic, we should just say the last winner gets this one. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, he, he probably would uh, enjoy that very yep. much. Yep. Oh my but God. To, to get off the, if you haven't read the Babylon Bee, it, it it's pretty funny. But for the debates, right? This is where Biden's cognitive decline and people who want to act like he doesn't have some, yeah, okay, 
we can all live in that fantasy world with you, I guess. But he does. Just it's a fact. I just don't know. It feels like Trump is going to hammer him and really push him. And Trump does. The thing is, right, Biden didn't have to show as much cognitive decline in the regular debates in the primaries because they, everybody debates like normal there. Right. It's the normal style of debates. Like there's some attacks, but they're not like crazy like Trump does. Trump will just throw shit off the wall. Right. Yeah. He'll say that your father killed JFK. Right? Like, yeah. Cruz. And how do you? Yeah. So he's going to just confuse the shit out of Biden. And if he says something really stupid, uh, I mean, the debates could absolutely swing this election more so than I've, I've ever seen in the past. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like it feels like we're I mean, like we're in a place, especially now that we're all cooped up in our houses and stuck on devices more than we ever were before. Therefore, we're more influenced by them. Click and obey, cough, cough, hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, it just feels like a viral moment now is much more viral than a viral moment at any other point in time. And if you have a viral moment that is negative against you in this in these upcoming debates, I feel like it could actually swing the election. Um, I just think I've seen Biden do those weird turnaround moments, right, where he seems like he's he's like turning away from the camera and turning backwards and then turning around back to it. If he does that during the debate, there are going to be so many gifts and so many just nonsense things posted about it where Trump is going to be given this like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Yeah. Like, just look on his face. Just be like, this guy can't even debate. He had to circle. He had to do circles to, to, to get his mind back in order. This is crazy. And yeah. he's going to be right because it's going to be yeah. nonsense. So – there's there's that theory that, i hope that happens that, honestly it'd be hilarious that would be kind of funny i will say this though there's a theory that you know trump takes those um diet pills that are actually like secret like super pep me up type of drugs have you have you heard about this sort of thing um oh yeah i mean i believe it quite honestly if you're biden's handlers uh, don't you just give him the same drugs <laughs> well the thing is are we sure that he already isn't on those drugs and this is the best he no can idea. do like, that's fair yeah <laughs> i don't know the way biden's been doing stuff right because i think what's what cracks me up is they'll talk about you know trump has gaffes too it's like trump talks like 10 times more than biden does so if yeah. biden has even the close to the same amount of gaffes as as trump he's he's actually like 10 times more prone to gaffes right when he yeah. says oh if you don't know who you're voting for you ain't black like oh what Ooh. You don't just get to have my vote because of my race. Like that's, that's it's another one of those democratic racist ideals, right? Where, hey, you have to vote for us because we're the only one who actually cares. It's like, is that serious? Like the Republicans, uh, you can't be Republican if you're black. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. There's the whole like you have to you're biologically black or you're politically black. <laughs> like there's there's an idea that like uh, only you know. Not only even one party, but one ideology within one party has a monopoly over people who have, you know, more melanin. I mean, it's just crazy. It's a crazy racist. But it, um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. What are your thoughts on, on how the debate's going to go? Yeah, I, I, uh, I just think it's going to be viral moment after viral moment, honestly. I think um, there's no crowd, you know, there's not going to be a crowd, so it's going to be a little weird. It'll just be those two pe two uh, presidential candidates. I think the VP debates are actually going to go in Kamala's favor. Um, but in terms of the presidential candidates, I, I just see them trading all sorts of weird barbs, like, you know, Biden threatening to fight him 
<laughs> like Trump just saying, you know, what, what did he do last time? Like wrong and all those sort of things. Like he'll come up with some sort of catchphrase. Um, that'll be the source of many memes. Um, so I, I just see kind of a meme fest, honestly, um, which kind of brings me to the next point. Like, I think we all know that these debates are really performative. They're not right. very, um, they're just not, not very substantial. Yeah, they're not, there's no substance. And so it's like, when we're thinking about the next generation of debates, like, do, do we eventually reach that? Um, is there frustration? Is there enough frustration around this stuff? And what do those look like? And, you know, I, I mean, we're here talking on a podcast. I think that the answer is some sort of podcast format. I think there's a hunger for long form um, content, especially if it's something where you don't have to stay glued to a screen necessarily. Um, and a podcast, you know, it could be optional. There can be video or there can not be video. And like, what, what if you end up with something like a Joe Rogan podcast um, where the presidential candidates are on and they're given plenty of time to speak and the, and the, uh, the debate goes on for four hours and you can tune in and tune out or you can pause and come back. Like, what if it is something right. that is in more of a podcast setting, a long form podcast setting than a, you know, traditional media outlet with all the advertisements and all the um you know all the same people that have been around in media forever asking the questions and and uh in, in this case i think they're actually going to allow people or allow the candidates to have access to the questions beforehand which is funny considering i think clinton got in trouble for getting the questions beforehand in 2016 but now they're going to do it all right um so it's like a podcast might actually be or a podcast type format might actually be the best because it'll be really truly um you know, on the fly, um, on your feet type of thinking, substantive, um, giving people enough time to actually get into it, have, have some refereeing there for sure. Um, you know, maybe you bring in like an Eric Weinstein or somebody like that to referee. Um, but I, I, I just think that that's the next generation debates. I feel like technology has moved on from what, um, you know, old school, typical mainstream media is and was and i think we're going to see eventually at some point some other format for these debates because this this isn't going to work like this is a, i mean i know we're enjoying all the memes and all that sort of stuff right now but this is totally unsustainable like it, it kind of fell off in 2016 i think it's really going to fall off now yeah i think honestly when you're going to see it fall off is when the ratings fall off and while trump is running it's not going to happen right people want to watch him whether it's to hate or love him so I think this election cycle will still have massive debate exposure. I think the Democratic debates actually were pretty poorly uh, shown, if I remember right, um, as far as uh, viewership. But in 2024, when we get back to non-Trump candidates, I think that'll be the last hurrah. I think that's going to be the last one where it's like they'll do the primaries and the presidential debates the same way they do today. It'll go poorly. They'll have very little ad or very little viewership. The main candidates. Um, whoever they may be, will probably look to do something like the Joe Rogan podcast or uh, uh, Dave Rubin podcast, or potentially like, uh, you know, Bill Maher for an hour, you know, somebody, right. They'll, they'll yeah, kind of somebody. pick and choose who they want to do as far as, yeah. as that goes. And then in 2028, I think that's when you go, it's like, oh, okay, we're probably more in the podcast game. Like you media legacy networks are kind of dying. Like nobody gives a shit about your opinions anymore. Um, Cause that's right. largely what's happening now. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I think that's going to be the trend. I think you're spot on. Um, with that said, um, I actually think this is a, a good, a good place to, um, to go ahead and call it. Um, yeah, Agreed. So, I don't have too much more than this. Yeah. So hell of a hell of a news item. I think we're living in some pretty interesting times. I think this VP pick is in some ways perfect indication of of the times that we live in. I think the debates are also probably going to be a a very much a uh, looking back in history. I think. I mean, I I think people in the future that look back at this moment in history are going to look at these two things, like the VP pick and the type of debates that are going to happen. And they're going to say, like, this is really indicative of that period of time, like the inherent division that is represented by the vice presidential pick and the 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 degradation of political discourse that is probably perfectly represented by these debates that are upcoming. Um, And. And probably the uh, the election as well, with with how much uh, how much I think it's going to be disputed. I think historians are going to look back at this and say like, this was really indicative of this era, like twenty fourteen to twenty twenty four. Let's call it um, that. Th- this is a these this sort of thing that we're living in this moment that we're living in right now. Perfect indication of that entire time period. So yeah. I- I, I keep thinking of it as like the social media bubble, right? At some point, the social media bubble will burst and we'll get back to kind of normal-ish life um, without this nonsense hanging over our head. But it might be a generation from now before that really happens, sadly. Yeah, sadly, sadly. Well, on that note, um, not not a sadly note, but just on a finalizing <laughs> note, um, subscribe, like, share, repost, listen, uh, to click and obey, we're on every major podcasting platform. Um, we're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash click and obey. Um, if you like what we're talking about, reach out to us, give us your feedback. Um, we're always listening. We're always trying to improve and stay safe. Peace. Peace.